Good morning. Let's listen to what God has to speak to us from Isaiah 52 this morning. Awake! Awake, O Zion! Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first... My people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now, what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, (laughs) your watchmen lift their voices together. They shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Amen. Thanks, Cynthia. Well, good morning. I'm Nancy Benford Bohm. And I've been attending Cole Community Church since 1971. And there are a number of people in this auditorium today that weren't even born yet. Were you at that point? I moved all the way from Caldwell to come to Boise, to go to Boise State. And in those days, it was actually long distance on the phone. You had to pay for long distance calls. Yeah. So you know it was a long time ago. And for those of you who, are, who kind of want to know, but you don't want to do the math, that makes me 64, and I've got 65 coming this June, and I'm excited about that. 
And Cole has been my home church for all of these years, and I can't think of a different place where I would want to worship God. For 11 amazing years, my dear friend Laura Bottomer, sitting down here in the front row, and I shared the women's pastor position here at Cole. Carolyn Roper and Jen Nielsen, right over here, were excellent role models and predecessors for us. It was, it was quite a ride, and I loved it. A year and a half ago, Laura and I decided it was time for us to pass the baton on, so we passed it on to Yvette Westendorf and to Marianne Porter, and they are doing a great job with women's ministries. So you're probably wondering why I'm up here. Well, I kind of am too. <laughs> a few days before Christmas, I got a phone call from Jackson Kramer, and we kind of played telephone tag for a little bit, and I kind of had in my mind what he was going to ask me, and then he, asked, he said that the elders were wondering if I would be willing to teach this Sunday, since most, well, a lot of the men were going to be up at the, the men's retreat this weekend. And they just thought it would be a good idea for a woman to share today. Well, to say the least, I was kind of like a deer in the headlights when I got that call. But then God um, just kind of kept speaking to my heart. And it didn't take very long before I felt like he wanted me to say yes. And so here we are. And the elders wanted me to remind you that they have a a policy paper on women in ministry. So if you're interested in what the elders think about women in ministry, it's going to be on that back wall, back there where it says information. You can pick one of those up. I am just excited to be able to share with you today what God has been teaching me over this last month in this scripture. And also, we're going to be looking for the attributes and characteristics of God as we look through his word. And this is something I've been doing for the last several years, and it has been such a comfort to my heart and to be able to see God's hand, not only in my life, but in the lives of of my friends, too. So let's get started and let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being holy, powerful, loving, full of grace, and full of mercy. Please soften our hearts, open our ears. And let us see what you want us to glean from your word today. May we search and seek for your treasures together. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get started, let's just take a brief look at where we have come from in Isaiah 51. Raymond Ortland says, Judah had not understood that it was God, not the Assyrians or Babylonians or any human power. It was God alone they had to reckon with. And if God is against you, what escape is there? God, the Jewish exiles must see, has fulfilled his disciplinary purpose. A new day of grace has dawned. For the Jews in Babylon, this meant getting up and returning to the promised land. For us today, it means getting up and entering into the promises of Christ. Isaiah is saying to us all, it isn't God who needs to be aroused. You do. Wake up and see what God has done. His salvation is ready and waiting. Come on. So, now we are ready to step into that new day of grace that God is presenting to his people, the Israelites, in Babylon. So I want you to please open your Bibles to Isaiah 52, 1 through 12. Or open up the Bible app on your cell phone. Just don't check your text messages for a little while. 
or if you brought your iPad with you. I want us to really get into this word together. And it's nice if you have that available just so that we can look at it. So we're going to start with Isaiah 52, 1. Awake, awake, Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Awake, awake, O Zion. Wake up, wake up. Does that remind any of you of trying to wake up a teenager who stayed up too late the night before when they need to get to school? Or it was at you this morning when you stayed up too late last night watching Netflix. Well, I've done that before, but I didn't do that last night. (laughs) God is trying to get the attention of his chosen people, the Israelites. He wants them to know what is going to happen when it is time for them to leave Babylon. He didn't want it to be a surprise for them. If they could have left on their own strength, They probably would have already tried to get away from the Babylonians, but that wouldn't have been an easy thing to do. He wants them to know he is going to give them the strength that they will need to leave, and he will provide the garments of splendor for them. God wants to clothe them with his strength and give them those special garments so that will help them to see that they are different than what they used to be. They have been disciplined, and God is ready for them to come back to him. Some commentaries suggest that the garments of splendor represented the priest's robes, that God wanted his people to see how he viewed them as having value and that he loved them and wanted them to be in relationship with him. God wanted them to be set apart for the beauty of his holiness. And we too have the opportunity to put on those robes of righteousness today due to the sacrifice of his precious son, Jesus Christ. We are clothed in that righteousness when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior. So let's stop and think about what got the Israelites in Babylon in the first place. Well, their sins, their idol worship, when they put their trust in anything else but God. I remember the story of a little boy who was having fun playing in his mud puddle. Oh, he was, it was grand. He was having so much fun. Then someone came and offered him an opportunity to take a vacation and go to the ocean. Well, he didn't know anything about an ocean. What's that? So he decided to just stay and be complacent and be satisfied in his little mud puddle. And he missed out on the opportunity to see the beauty and the creativity of God. Okay, that was my modification on C.S. Lewis's mud puddle story. I think God is telling his people it is time to get out of their mud puddles and start moving back toward him. How often do we get caught in our own sins, idol worship, and putting other things in place of God in our lives? We, too, reject God. We, We choose not to follow him or trust him because we are content with what we're doing or where we are in life. And we're going to be talking more about that in a little bit. So it's wake up and let's move. So I mentioned we're going to be talking about the attributes and characteristics of God. So I picked two for this verse. I'm saying that God was their advocate. He had a plan for his people and the Israelites, just as he has a plan for each of us. And God was omniscient. God wanted them to know exactly how his plan was going to happen because he has total knowledge, so none of this was a surprise to him. Okay, verse 2. 
The Israelites were instructed to shake off their dust. In those days, dust was used at a time of grief or mourning so they could show the depth of their loss. But now the Lord is going to be with them so they do not need to grieve any longer. So they are instructed to shake off their dust and get ready to move forward. He is setting them free to leave Babylon and to experience freedom in a way they hadn't for over 70 years. They were no longer going to be burdened by those chains which had held them down and held them back, but they could now actually rise up and sit enthroned with the Lord. My attribute for this verse is encourager. God was motivating and inspiring them to get up and get moving. As we look at verse 3, we see the Lord saying, You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. The Israelite sin is what caused them to fall into captivity. They turned away from God, and so he allowed them to be captured. But the Lord was not going to use money to redeem them because he had not sold them. He was going to give them grace. The Israelites had nothing to offer him, and neither do we. For us, we know that the blood and death of Jesus is what has redeemed us. And it didn't cost the Lord any money, but it cost him oh so much more. The ultimate cost was the death of his perfect son on the cross to carry all the sins of the world, including yours and mine. And at the end of the service today, we're going to be taking communion. And I just want you to be praying during that time, just thinking about the cost that both Jesus and his father had to endure in order for us to have our sins paid for. So there's a sign at the Veterans Administration campus downtown on Fort Street that says, the price of freedom is visible here. The price of freedom is visible here. And if you've ever spent any time at the VA, you know that saying is very true. I saw it with my first father-in-law. He had a number of health problems that the VA administration was able to help him with through the years. And then my grandpa spent several years in the secure unit at the nursing home because he was suffering from senile dementia agitation. And both of these men were so well treated there. The men and women who serve in the military are literally willing to put their lives on the line for our nation's freedom. And so all of you veterans, and maybe those are still serving today, I just want to say a big thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you have done for our nation. Jesus was willing to give his life for our spiritual freedom. And today we know the price of our freedom is visible only because of the grace extended to us through Jesus' death on the cross. We, too, were not redeemed with money, but by his blood. The disciples and others who saw the risen body of Jesus truly saw in his body the visible scars of the freedom we enjoy today. So I've got two attributes for this verse. The first one is redeemer. God was going to rescue, recover, reclaim. He was going to set them free. He was going to save them from their sins. And he did it all with his grace and mercy, his blessing and kindness. Verse 4, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. 
The Sovereign Lord acknowledges how his people were in Egypt and how later the Assyrians had oppressed them. God allowed these times for his people to turn back to him, but they, like us, appear to be slow learners. But God intentionally pursues his chosen people, the Israelites and us today. So let's look at the path that God chose to send his people into Egypt. We read in Genesis that God had sent Joseph to Egypt under very difficult circumstances where he was humbled many times before God used him to save his people. Then Joseph's family, the Israelites, followed Joseph to Egypt, and eventually they all became slaves to the Egyptians. Then many years later, God raised up Moses to free his people from the Egyptians. God had heard the cries of his people, and he had a plan. So I want you to turn to Genesis 45. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 8. Genesis 45, 3 through 8. But I'm going to give you a little background first. Joseph had been interacting with his brothers, but they did not know who he was. At that point in time, Joseph had been elevated to like the second highest position in all of Egypt. And so when his brothers were coming to ask for food because they didn't have any, it was um, they did not know that that was their brother that was talking to them. They just thought he was an Egyptian ruler. And finally, he became so overcome with emotion that he sent out all of his attendants so that he could talk to his brothers. So join me in uh, verse 3, Genesis 45, 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. I just, that, I just reminds me of God. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Listen, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. Listen. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Listen. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but... Oh, a little louder. God. Oh, you're much louder than first hour. Good job. God knows exactly what he is doing, and now he is going to accomplish his will. Oftentimes, his plan is totally out of our comprehension. That is where we are challenged to grow in trusting him completely with our lives. In 1992, my family started on a path different than any other that we would have ever chosen. My first husband, Chuck, needed brain surgery to correct a congenital defect. Well, the initial surgery went well, but then two days later, he had a respiratory arrest and a cardiac arrest. And eventually, he was placed into a phenobarbital coma, and he was in that coma, semi-coma state, for five and a half months before he, God took him home. He passed away on November 30th, 1992, and we had his funeral service in this very room, a week before his 39th birthday. 
And I sat right down there with my family in the front row. But God, through it all, showed himself to us over and over and over. (laughs) And he continues to still today. Joseph didn't choose his path. We didn't choose our path. And you probably have not chosen the path you're on. But God is still sovereign. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And we have that promise in Hebrews 13, 5. When we place our trust in God, we literally sign a blank sheet of paper and then wait for him to fill in our story. That's what trust is all about. So I have three attributes for this. First, we're going to pick faithful because he is worthy of trust. He is trustworthy and he's sovereign. And we can't put him in a box and we really wouldn't want to. Verse 5, and now, what do I have here, declares the Lord, for my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord, and all day long my name is constantly blaspheming. It appears God is ready for the Israelites to return to him. He was tired of his people being separated from him, for the enemy to be mocking him and constantly blaspheming his name. The enemy was playing the bully role in treating God with scorn and contempt by disrespecting him, and he was through with it. The Israelites were going to have a front row seat to see God's power and grace exhibited. He was ready to get them out of their mud puddle. We know how hard it is on our ears when we hear someone use the name of God in vain to disrespect him, to show utter disregard for his sovereignty. I can't imagine what that feels like to God when he hears that mocking and blaspheming. It it is just ugly. So the attribute I'm choosing for this one is judge. God is ready to judge the Babylonians and get his people out of there. Verse 6, Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. God is serious about this happening as he uses therefore twice for emphasis to get his point across. Just as he used awake, awake at the first and at the end of our passage, he's going to say depart, depart. He wanted them to know, yes, it is I who foretold it. Once again, God is not surprised. He never is. He was reminding him that he was their God. He had his prophets tell them about his plan, and he was going to fulfill it. Just as he had a plan for the Israelites, he has a plan for each of us. Earlier in Isaiah 51, God said, For I am the Lord your God, and who say to Zion, You are my people. He so desperately wanted them to know him and be in relationship with him. And I believe that is still true today. He wants us to recognize him and be in that intimate relationship with God, the creator of the universe. My pick, relational. He is a relational God who desires that intimate relationship with us. Your God reigns. We're moving into verse 7. The beautiful part of this next section is the good news that is being delivered. That good news is God's message to his people. 
that he will proclaim peace, bring good tidings, proclaim salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. I think it's difficult for most of us to imagine the power in those words, since most of us have never known the captivity like the Israelites did with the Babylonians. But some of our refugee families probably have. They probably come the closest to understanding what that lack of freedom really feels like. And for that, I am so sorry. And we just um, hope that those of you are in that situation or have been, that you will just rest in the promise today that God will never leave you or forsake you. And we're so glad that you are here with us. Today, we get to see and hear that good news. Our God reigns. Praise God. It is an amazing privilege to share God's good news, his plan of redemption, salvation, and peace. I'm going to pick Savior for this verse, the one who saves and preserves. Listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The watchman's job was to watch, was to focus on what was coming towards their walls, their cities. And they needed to pay attention if there was an enemy or if it was a good guy, so that they would know who was coming. So they would have been spaced in different intervals along the wall. And they would be the very first ones to see the Israelites when they were coming back to Jerusalem. And these watchmen were full of joy. They knew God was leading his people home. And how they burst into song of joy as they recognized the Lord had comforted his people and he had redeemed Jerusalem. God was fulfilling his promise of redemption. He was bringing them home to be with him. And I want to tell you, I love the worship team here. I love how Adrienne and her team are always bringing us to the throne room of God. It is truly a very special privilege for us to have her and her team. And I just want to know, let her know how much we appreciate them. Because she helps us to open our eyes to see that Jesus is coming. (laughs) Just as these watchmen were watching for God, we're watching for Jesus to come back. But we also get to just sing praises about Jesus and about God and about the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing much better than that. (laughs) So thank you, Adrienne, and your team. A couple of the attributes I'm picking for this one are he is our comforter. And he is our redeemer. Definitions for redeemer are powerful. He recovers, reclaims, and salvages his people. That's part of God's job description. In verse 10, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. When I read that, it made me think, well, God is just kind of rolling up his shirt sleeves. And he's just really getting ready to get to work. And he bared him his holy arm for all to see his might and power. He wanted the whole earth to see the salvation of God. And God was setting the stage for when the whole world 
would know and experience his amazing love to his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Okay, I got four for this one. Powerful, mighty, strong, and once again, Savior. In the next section, you are free to leave. No, you're not free to leave yet. The Israelites are. So you have to stay a little longer, okay? In our last two verses, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Once again, it's an imperative. It's time to do something and now it is time to leave. But the Israelites were instructed not to touch anything unclean, but to come out and be pure. It was time to leave their mud puddle. God was going to not only lead them, but he was also going to bring up the rear. He was going to surround them with his protection, grace, mercy, and love. God wanted to give his people the new dignity of priesthood, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. According to Raymond Ortland, through Christ, he gives his people the new dignity of priesthood. To put it in New Testament terms, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So, we must be clear in our message and influence. We are bearing a holy thing out to the nations. Anything about us that might make the victory of God ambiguous or unattractive must go. The gospel is so beautiful. We have no right to contaminate it. We must purify ourselves of every unclean thing. What an honor and a privilege we have today to be entrusted with that gospel and share it with others. We get to share the teachings of Christ and the apostles. That's a big wow. That's powerful. When the Israelites left Egypt before with Moses, they had to flee quickly in case Pharaoh changed his mind about releasing them, which is exactly what he did. The Pharaoh had the Israelites chased to the Red Sea, but once again, God had a plan for the Israelites. He parted the Red Sea for them. The Egyptians in that time with Moses had loaded the Israelites down with gold and silver as they were leaving. But this time, God didn't want them to be burdened with what had been in the culture they had been in before with the Babylonians. He wanted them to purify themselves because he was going to be with them out of that journey of Babylon as they returned to Jerusalem. He desired for their hands to be ready to receive what he wanted to give them. He did not want them to bring things from their past into their future. Those things would have held them back from truly worshiping God. The people did not have to leave in fearful haste because Cyrus, God's anointed, in Isaiah 45.1, decreed that the Jewish exiles could return safely to Jerusalem. And that's found in Ezra 1, 1 through 4. They had the king's approval, his guaranteed protection, but most importantly, they had the Lord, who was going to go ahead to point the way and behind to protect them. You know, I love that picture of them not having to flee in a hurry, but to take the time to transition from their past so that they could move confidently into their future. And the best part was that they knew God was going to be with them every step of the way, And we have that assurance for our lives, too.
Three more attributes. Holy. God is spiritually pure. He's worthy of special respect and awe. He is our protector, and he is our shield. So where are you on this journey? Are some of us in mud puddles where we are content to just do what we've always done because it's comfortable? I see our mud puddles as anything that takes our eyes off of God and keeps us complacent and not willing to change or grow or be stretched or accept his will for our lives. So what are some of those mud puddles we might be floundering in? Well, we're going to ponder on some of those together. Maybe thinking we always have to be right and expecting God to give us what we want. Are we hurting others with our words or actions? Are we willing to admit when we may be wrong and accept God's will for our lives? So do you think our pride might be getting in the way? Ah, Pride has certainly been a hard one for me through the years, and I believe it is for most Christians, if we'd really be honest. I was in a really yucky mud puddle several years ago, and I liked it. I was playing in that mud puddle, and I was just justifying my attitude, which was pretty not nice. It was pretty muddy. (laughs) And finally, God got a hold of me, and he did that through his word, Romans 12, 2. To not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God, in his infinite grace, helped me to realize that that mud puddle isn't where I really wanted to be. And I know it it really wasn't where he wanted me to be either. And finally, I got out of it. Maybe it's being jealous of what others have that we don't have. For example, a marriage, a baby, a grandbaby, a bigger house, a larger bank account, a nicer car, good health, more friends, etc., fill in the blank. Would this be a good time to thank God for what he has blessed us with rather than complaining about what we don't have? What about wanting to grow in our relationship with God but not being willing to put the time into making that happen? We all know we make time to do the things that are important to us. I do, anyway. Maybe it is being so busy doing ministry that we aren't taking the time to sit at his feet and grow deeper in love with the Lord. Ouch! That one hurts, doesn't it? Yes, ministry is important. Ministry is very important. But we need to make sure that we are not doing it on our own strength. The eternal rewards come when our work is spirit-led rather than us doing it on our own. Are you in a relationship or involved in some activities that are not honoring or pleasing to God? If so, you need to make a change. And you need to do it now. Find a pastor, a godly counselor, or a godly friend who can help you start your journey down a new and healthier path. Do you need to confess to God that you want out of your mud puddle and that you can't do it on your own? Guess what? 
he already knows that, and he will be right there with you each step of the way. He's going to be before you, and he will be behind you, just as he was with the Israelites, as he led them out of their captivity. Remember, he doesn't waste anything. Do you want to look beyond where we are and see if God has something even better in store for us? Are we willing to be challenged and stretched? Are we willing to cling to him? So let's just recap those attributes that we found in just 12 verses this morning. He is our advocate. He is omniscient. He is our encourager. He is our redeemer. He is full of grace and he is faithful. He is trustworthy. He's sovereign. He's our judge. He is relational and he wants us to be in relationship with him. Not just on Sunday mornings, but all the time. And he's safe. He's our savior. He's our comforter. He's powerful, mighty, strong, holy, protector and shield. Wow, what an amazing God we serve. Are we willing to accept that his grace has already won the victory over everything that oppresses us? He loves us with a love that cannot be defeated. And he will get us out of our mud puddles. Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for the good news of your peace, happiness, salvation, and that you reign today. Thank you for choosing us to be your children. As our Father, you will show us the way through your Holy Spirit working in our lives and through your word. We desire to follow, honor, and glorify you with our thoughts, actions, words, and lives. Please stretch us, Lord, beyond what we think we can do. May we experience your grace today in amazing ways. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you.